0: This fucking guy. Hello, my slices of dried papaya. Welcome once again to that magical place where we all gather
1: to drink and lament and talk about this fucking guy. This is that podcast where we use expletives and alcohol to emotionally process the creeps, jerks, and terrible fucking people that compose the shitty elevator music of our lives. I'm the vocal top. Ren Martinez. And
0: I'm the auditory power bottom, Ginger Golub. (sighs) Okay, Ren. What do you need to scream into the void?
1: Firstly, I'd like to say, I love how you're starting this episode with this, like, late night radio host voice. I feel very soothed. I'm doing my best. I feel very soothed. I (laughs) honestly am not sure myself if it is an affectation or if I'm catching a cold. (laughs) That lovely thin line Mm -hmm. between... You know, it's kind of like people who are really into um, Emma Stone's voice, not knowing it's a product of whooping cough and nearly dying. Oh god, I didn't know that. Yeah, she ruined her vocal cords because she had whooping cough at like one years old and nearly died. Mm,
0: vaccinate your children. Yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah. Um, as far as things about the scream into the void, it's, a, it's just a very mild thing. Oh. So everyone knows that candy corn is the worst, right? Candy corn is objectively bad. I love candy corn. Fight me. Okay, we will have to fight after this. <laughs> okay. But I will say there is something worse than candy corn. And candy corn needs to at least get addressed in context of this worst thing. Is it Necco wafers? Circus peanuts. Ooh. Circus peanuts are the fuck, that is garbage. That is candy garbage that was, like, scooted off the floor of the candy factory, shoved into peanut-shaped containers, and then sent off to, like, b- both, like, stick And melt in your tonsils. It's the grossest candy of all time. And while I don't care for candy corn, because it's just weird chewy sugar, Mm -hmm. it ain't no circus peanut.
0: Yeah. Goodness (laughs) knows. (laughs) This has been this fucking guy bringing you the hard news (laughs) and hot takes.
1: Brought to you by candy corn. (laughs) Candy Corn, please give us a sponsorship and give us money. (laughs) I will say I like Candy Corn. I'll be lying, but I'll say it for money. (laughs) Mm, You corporate shill. (laughs) Oh, goodness. All (sighs) right, Ren. Well,
0: I don't have anything to scream into the void, like to, to, you know, draw back the veil just a little teeny bit. We are, um, we've changed our format, but we're still recording... Some episodes in sequence, so I've already lamented about just sort of, like, how terrible this particular timeline in reality appears to be. Where, you know, everything mm-hmm. is literally on fire,
1: mm-hmm. and everybody is lying to us. This is why I'm glad I have this brand of cheerful nihilism. Because the world is on fire, but I'm kind of like, the world's on fire! What the matters? It's on fire, no one can see.
0: Uh, it is a wicked game that they play, but (laughs) when they are done playing the wicked game, you know what's the best thing about these fucking
1: guys? Uh, that they eat circus peanuts and hopefully choke on them. I mean, that's a lot to ask. Drown them in circus peanuts.
0: (laughs) You're the boss. Uh... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, what? I am like the I'm the emperor at the I'm the god emperor at the Roman Colosseum, turning his thumb down and crowding my <laughs> opponents in circus peanuts. I mean, wh-
0: whether they choke on the circus peanuts or they drown in them, the best part about these fucking guys is that they eventually die. Yay, dead! So I'm here to bring you a dead asshole, just dragging it to the doorstep like a like a cat that, like an outdoor cat that loves you, but is like Aww. misguided in terms of what you need. And Thank
1: you for this carcass. <laughs> yeah. And I also wanted to break the
0: mold a little bit by uh, just clarifying that we here uh, at This Fucking Guy podcast, visit us online at thisfnguypod.com. <laughs> uh, You're so good at marketing. I love it. <laughs> we don't believe... That all of these fucking guys are necessarily guys. This fucking guy can be a woman. This fucking guy can be a non-binary person. We do not discriminate. It can be a group of people. It can be a concept, a theory, a universal construct. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, from our four-person listenership, have gotten some requests for this one. So, uh, Ren? Have you heard of Ayn Rand? Oh, no! <laughs>
1: <laughs> this bitch! Oh! fucking Ayn Rand. And we are, oh. we are going to try to say fucking guy because I don't want, like... Oh, she is this fucking guy. Oh, okay, no, I will... Yeah.
0: I will let you... We are trying not to gender our commentary of her because Ooh. she was,
1: by any rubric, kind of the worst. Oh, this asshole. No, I mean, I will, as someone who fervently hates Ayn Rand but doesn't actually know a lot about Ayn Rand mm-hmm. other than I did read The Fountainhead and that's all I need to know. Mm. That's all I need to know fuck you Ayn Rand also once like someone like Paul Ryan says you're his favorite author yeah okay that tells me that yeah. tells me a lot So yes, bless yeah. me. bless me with this Ayn Rand knowledge I don't have oh. so I can continue wish for her to be resurrected so I can murder her again. I I cannot express to you how happy I am
0: that for fucking once I have not chosen like...
1: A child rapist. <laughs> it is funny that in in the few episodes we've had, that's been like your little theme. I'm I glad we're going on. off brand mm-hmm. for this episode. Yeah. Uh,
0: so Irene was born
1: Alisa Zinovieva
0: Rosenbaum on February 2nd, 1905, to a Russian Jewish family. Uh, they were pretty wealthy. Her dad ran a pharmacy. They were um, what you would consider bourgeois. Is it bourgeois or bourgeoisie? It's the bougie. Yeah, the bougie. (laughs) Um, Her mother was really religious, socially observant. Raine said she found school unchallenging. Oh, God. Just no one could match her intellect. She began writing screenplays at the age of eight and novels at the age of ten and what I would not give to read Mm -hmm. a novel... Written by a 10-year-old Ayn Rand.
1: I looked upon my mother with scorn. (laughs) She was not fulfilling her individual duty to capitalism.
0: And just, again, parting the veil a little bit. Big thanks to Wikipedia for this one. (laughs) Uh, I will be citing my sources in the episode description
1: and on the website. It's not all Wikipedia, but a lot of it is... Hey man, support Wikipedia. Who doesn't love this like free range knowledge? You give them a little donation. I did. This episode brought to you by Wikipedia
0: <laughs> by Wikipedia and candy corn. <laughs> now just one big company.
1: Uh, what an what an odd branch of this of this capitalist hellscape. Okay. While in high school,
0: she realized that she was an atheist and valued reason above any other human virtue, and. Oh, God. i don't know okay so i don't know if this is something that she said because it really sounds like some lore that she would have created about herself uh or if this is from a third party but apparently once when a teen teacher asked her to write an essay about the joys of childhood she wrote a diatribe condemning childhood as a cognitive wasteland (laughs)
1: <laughs> in a joyous <laughs> limbo in which adult rationality had yet to fully develop. Oh God! I knew this fourteen-year-old. Jesus Christ! I was this fourteen-year-old. I was insufferable. Oh, we would not have been friends. Oh no, no! I was a
0: libertarian. Oh, God. oh boy, yeah. oh boy! Another little source citation for that Again, morsel. Insufferable. Uh, uh, 2009 article titled "Mrs. Logic" by Sam Anderson for New York Magazine was very inspiring. So, terrible, terrible child, Uh, and (laughs) terrible, terrible time to be a Russian Jew. That's true. It's not the era I would want to
1: be a Russian Jew. I mean,
0: there are not real large swaths of history where I'm like, you know what would be fun. (laughs) You know what would be a good idea. I say this as the, like, proud fiancé of a Russian Jew. (laughs) Like,
1: shit's rough. Yeah, I'm guessing, like, if your husband was presented... Your husband, fiance, boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I'm really bad at these titles. If your significant other were presented with a time machine, it's like, what period of history would you like to go back to be a Russian Jew? He would be like, I'm gonna pass. <laughs> 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 this present is pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 yep also
0: a particularly bad time to be a business owner Russian Jew. Oh no. Uh, her family was subject to strict anti-Semitic laws um, and pogroms And just as, I'm just gonna call her Ayn Rand even though that wasn't her name yet uh, just as she was hitting um, like adolescence like around 12. The Russian Revolution happened. Also, not the best time
1: in history to just be a person.
0: Yeah, to be. <laughs> Uh, at the age of 12, Rand watched Bolshevik soldiers march and take her father's pharmacy, and he would never really work again, and they were sort of forced to move out to, uh, the Black Sea, and then move back
1: to St. Petersburg, and, you know, kind of almost starved to death. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess that essay about childhood being a, a useless wasteland, lacking rationale, makes a little bit more sense. I mean... There's uh, a lot of bitterness in this
0: 12-year-old. Here's, here's the thing about Ayn Rand after spending, like, way too many hours researching her. I get why she is like this. Like, I usually am, am screaming, why are you like this? Who hurt you?
1: I understand <laughs> why she is like this, and I understand who hurt her. But... Unlike Carlton, the the child fucker? Like yes. Gotta check? <laughs> uh,
0: but like, what she did was she took her very specific experience and did just the shitty navel-gazing that all good lords do and was like, this was my specific experience. So it very obviously relates universally to everyone ever, and if you don't do that, it's wrong. So that's just kind of a not great way to be, but um, in a rare moment where it was kind of a good time to be, uh, <laughs> after the revolution, uh, the universities in Russia were actually open to women. So she actually uh, was able to be part of the first group of women to enroll in Petrograd State University, uh, where she was introduced to the writings of Aristotle and Plato and Nietzsche. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm not going to get into
1: that because, again, I don't understand it well enough. Well, as someone... I just know that red flags. Well, as someone who actually read Nietzsche and actually likes some Nietzsche, I distrust everyone who says they love Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. Like, that should not be how you introduce yourself. Like, Hello. Have you read Nietzsche? Okay, bye. This first date is over. I'm going to stuff these breadsticks in my bag and leave this Olive Garden. What was interesting, because when you hear people talk about her philosophies, like,
0: she never was like, oh my god, I am a total Nietzsche fangirl, but you can kind of tell that in her writing. Meanwhile, she, like, had this huge boner for Aristotle and really hated Plato. Okay. I mean, go off, I guess. Yeah. I don't. I don't care enough people to be who have, invested. Yeah, in people.
1: people who have really strong opinions about specific philosophers are generally people who you don't want at your dinner parties. <laughs> so, yeah, blanket statement. Sorry for anyone who's a philosophy major.
0: <laughs> so she, uh, she eventually graduated in 1924, and here I am quoting from New York Magazine again. No one helped me. Rand would later write. Nor did I think it was anyone's duty to help me. In fact, her family and American friends helped her quite a lot. (laughs) Uh, She immigrated to the United States uh, on a visa to visit her family. And she sort of left under the pretext of, Oh yeah, I'm going to gain expertise that I can apply to Soviet film. Don't worry about it. Bye! And there was a D-brand shaped hole in the Berlin Wall that didn't exist yet. Upon her arrival to the United States in 1926, she changed her name to Ayn Rand. I looked for why this was, and pretty much fucking everybody was like, Ayn was some kind of play on words that you only understand if you know Russian, and Rand sounds like pine tree.
1: What? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this, doesn't, this doesn't make me understand what's happening it's anymore. It's shorter than... The the myriad name that she had before, the Anakova, Dilova, whatever it was. Annalisa. I'm not going to tell you. I'm just <laughs> enjoying watching you struggle. Zagowski, I don't remember her
0: name. Alyssa Rosenbaum. she was born Alyssa Alyssa Rosenbaum. Alyssa Rosenbaum. Which is a very pretty name. And from that she decided, no, it must be more austere Ayn Rand.
1: Well, yeah, austerity really is her thing. Well... Mm. Mm. It's austerity for other people is her real thing. Oh, God, you
0: know... Oh, God. All right, so apparently a bunch of sources were uh, copying from the same thing because they all said the thing about uh, pine trees. I misread it. They're just saying that her first name rhymes with the word pine in case you're (laughs) wondering
1: (laughs) how you pronounce that. So... This is the best misunderstanding ever. Pine is ein. Yeah, so no, no, her name Einred means pine tree. Jesus. Okay, yeah. It smells like an axe body spray. This is what happens
0: when I try to, like, go off script (laughs) and, like, actually analyze instead of just reading the fucking script. What I have here in my fucking phone, which I took from God knows which source, the first name, which rhymes with pine, was inspired by the name of a Finnish writer whom she never identified, cool, In the surname, she described as an abbreviation of Rosenbaum, which, like, it's not. It's (laughs) not. (laughs) It's not. But you do you, I know nothing about the Cyrillic alphabet. So, like I said, in 1926, Rand came to the U.S. on a visa to visit uh, her relatives in Chicago, When she first saw New York City, she apparently burst into tears at, like, the beautiful skyline. I don't believe it. In
1: America. I don't believe that Ayn Rand has burst into tears at any point in her life. If
0: the woman has boners for anything, it's like capitalism and architecture.
1: That is true. Okay, you've changed my mind. Maybe she did. She saw no, the I amazing don't... spires of a building dedicated to yeah, the no, stock I... market and just like, ooh. Yeah, I don't think it was like, <laughs> my God, I'm about to have a better life. I think it was
0: just like, mm, those angles. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Bitch loved an ugly building. <laughs> <laughs> she did love an ugly fucking building. Just like huge boners. Huge boners for ugly buildings. And
0: capitalism. So she spent like six months living with her relatives, learning English, uh, developing ideas for stories and movies. Like, one of her relatives owned a theater, so she went to go see movies every day, but no one helped her. No No one one helped her. her. No.
1: She did literally everything. She built the boat that brought her to America, (laughs) she wrote it herself. Pretty incredible. And she decided to
0: become a screenwriter, and got an extension on her visa, and
1: zoomed off to Hollywood. And wrote such family fun films like Singing in the Rain, and Everyone Dies. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote some romantic comedies, I
0: did not write all of the names down, but like... <laughs> romantic comedy writer Ayn Rand. <laughs> So again, uh, just expanding on the theme of no one ever helped her and she was only very fortunate and just pulled herself up slowly by her bootstraps. On Rand's second day in Hollywood, she was spotted by Cecil B. DeMille, one of Hollywood's leading directors, while she was standing at the gate of his studio. He had noticed her staring at him and stopped to ask why she was staring. She exploded
1: <laughs> like a fucking creep. If
0: you've ever seen a picture of this woman, she looks like there is no facial expression she can make that would not be described as staring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was some romantic thing where she's like gazing like beautifully in the distance. There's a sunset in the background. No, it's just be like. Hey, lady, why are you creeping? (laughs) (laughs) Why
0: are you staring at me? She explained that she had recently arrived from Russia and that she had dreamed about being a screenwriter. Uh, And then Cecil B. DeMille gave her a ride to his movie set, signed her on as an extra, and, like, two weeks later, she met... Her husband, which I guess is how she got citizenship, I didn't find anything that was, like, super clear on that. But, yeah, she met Frank O'Connor, another actor working as an extra. They were married in 1929 and were married until uh, his death uh, 50 years later in 1979. She made several attempts to bring her parents and sisters to the United States, but were unable to acquire permission to immigrate. So they got stuck in communist Russia. That sounds like
1: America. Yeah. We were still bad then. No, we, well... mm. Let me drink this cider. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, So, after becoming an extra, she really quickly became a screenwriter, where she had some success. Oh, the beer cavalry has arrived. Oh, thank you, beloved fiancé.
1: Thank you, Mr. Russian Jew. We're talking about another Russian Jew. Thank (laughs) you
0: to the handsomest Russian Jew (laughs) of all.
1: You're better than Ayn Rand.
0: You are so much better than Ayn Rand. I love him so much.
1: (laughs) Part of this was also inspired
0: by the fact that I had a terrible ex who, like, had the most
1: boner for Ayn Rand. It's, again, it's one of those things where if someone's like, by the way, I love the Fountainhead, I'm like, again, shoving breadsticks in my purse. Oh, my mama called me. I gotta go home. (laughs)
0: Like, we have all dated at least one guy who is really into Ayn Rand, and they um, are usually the worst people they, we've dated. They
1: are the worst people we've
0: dated. Rin had some moderate success as a writer in Hollywood and on Broadway. Her pu- first published novel, a semi-autobiographical book called We the Living, was published in 1936. It didn't do well, but after she got famous, they reprinted a revised version, and it did better. Okay. It did better. Next, she released a novella called Anthem. Ah. Anthem. She, she wrote it during a break writing The Fountainhead because apparently even Ayn Rand found that book to be fucking exhausting and tedious. Uh, now, Anthem may be the stupidest fucking book I've ever read. <laughs> Well, high praise. High praise indeed. Pinky. It presents a vision of a dystopian future in which totalitarian collectivism has triumphed to such an extent that even the word I has been forgotten and replaced with we. When I was reading this goddamn book, which, like, again, terrible ex-boyfriend who was also, like, the pledge master at his sorority. That's all er- at his sorority. <laughs> at, at his fraternity like made
1: all of his pledges read Anthem as part of like the They're weird hazing. Hazing. I mean, that's fair. Like, if you're trying to <laughs> haze someone to ruin their lives, essentially, in order to enter your fraternity as a challenge of their skill to be miserable, to prove yeah. themselves they're dedicated, then yes, reading Anthem makes a lot of sense. I went and visited him one time
0: immediately before Pledge Week, and there were, like, three items on the kitchen table in the frat house, and it was a copy of Anthem, a box of Xlax, lax and a baseball bat. And he was like... <laughs> You can't know about this. Squirreled all of them away, and I never got a follow-up.
1: All Okay, so any one of those items is bad at a frat house. All three together is, like, apocalyptic. It is... There is a USA Today article just waiting to be born from that.
0: mm uh, So Anthem also did very poorly until it was <laughs> re-released later. Uh, during the 1940s, Rand became politically active. I don't know what the f- fuck they thought she was doing earlier, where she <laughs> was apparently politically
1: inactive. It's like Being sexually like, active. You turn, the, you turn the switch on. Like, before that, mm, you're like... Mm. Yeah, like, fleeing from Russia and talking
0: about how she hated, like, simplicity in childhood. Like it, No, she, yeah, wasn't no she wasn't political. Her husband, wor- she and her husband worked as full-time volunteers for uh, the p- presidential campaign of Republican Wendell Wilkie, the widest <laughs> name ever heard of.
1: <laughs>
0: Wendell Wilkie. Uh, she, uh, through this, met other intellectuals who were sympathetic to free market capitalism. Uh, Had huge
1: as- boners for <laughs> money. Uh,
0: such as economist Ludwig von Mises, I think who once referred to Rand as, quote, the most courageous man in America. A compliment that particularly pleased her because he said man instead of woman. Get it? Uh, get I mean, it?
1: I mean... Do you get it? Uh, I mean, I guess there's something to be said about, like, being complimented irrespective of your gender in a time in which, like, gender's a big Fucking deal for what you can do but at the same time Ayn Rand the most courageous Ayn Rand the most courageous are you sure we're talking about the same person she like she was a brassy broad
0: but there's just something about that and the fact that that was something that she really liked to recount that they called her the most courageous man in America really just Ties in so well with her writing and her habit of just, like, going, Do you get it now? Do you get it? They can't say I. They only say we. Oh, my God. So, Rand's first major success as a writer came in 1943 with The Fountainhead, which was described in whatever the fuck I was reading, probably Wikipedia,
1: as a romantic
0: (laughs) and philosophical novel that she wrote over a period of... Seven goddamn
1: years. Who called that romantic? Who calls the Fountainhead romantic? Have they read the book? I, I, again,
0: same terrible ex, I remember saying that it was the sexiest book he'd ever read.
1: Oh, honey, no. I'm
0: so happy that I'm marrying the Russian Jew.
1: (laughs) Oh, honey, no. The Russian Jew who brings me alcohol. It's like romantic as if you romanticize tedium. Tedium and some light rape. (laughs) Light rape and, like, egotistical men. Like, I mean, okay, if that's that's what you consider romantic, I'm going to be over here with my pride and prejudice, I suppose. (sighs) Like, saying we instead of I or whatever the fuck. So, the story was about...
0: No, I'm not going to get into the synopsis of this... You don't oh, need Oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I fucking to. am. So the story is about a handsome architectural genius whose individualism and integrity are invinced in his principal dedication to his own happiness. Ooh. The hero, Howard Rourke, blows up a public housing project he had designed after it is altered against
1: his wishes by government bureaucrats. Yes, the hero blows up public housing. That sounds like Ayn Ayn Rand. God, I hate that book.
0: On trial for his crime, he delivers a lengthy speech in his own defense in which he argues for individualism over collectivism and egoism over altruism.
1: Yes, it's okay that I murdered people because I was an individual while doing it. Because I did it selfishly. (laughs) You can't murder people to save other people. That's just dumb. But if you murder people to satisfy your own desires, well, that's just virtuous. Fuck you, Ayn Rand. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the book did
0: well because it was the 40s and all of that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was 40s, and the 40s was happening, so it did well. Uh, I feel the need to point out that, again, the seven-year fucking book that it took her to write, that is the most exhausting thing that I've ever read, probably only because I didn't actually
1: read it. I will say, as a writer who suffers from, I will never get this book fucking done, seven years, kudos, my lady. (laughs) Like, that's not that bad. I've had this novel chilling in my laptop for, like, a decade. That's so. fine. The Fountain reads like a book that took seven years to write. You're, it, it took 70 years. It's like Rose at the End of Titanic being like, And 84 years later, I am publishing this book. I would rather die in the ocean. About wanting to <laughs> fuck this building. Uh. And <laughs> While finishing the
0: novel, she was prescribed amphetamines to fight fatigue. Woo! (laughs) Uh, The drug helped her meet long work hours to meet her deadline for delivering her novel, but afterwards she was so exhausted that her doctor ordered two weeks rest. I bet meth will do that. Her use of the drug for approximately three decades... Uh, That explains a bit may have contributed to what some of her later associates described as volatile mood swings. Fucking tweaking. <laughs> she was... I ran tweakin'. Tweakin' like a motherfucker. <laughs> I ran the Crystal Queen. So, The Fountainhead was pretty quickly adapted into a movie, which... Uh, she wrote the screenplay for the film, and then really hated it. She really hated that goddamn movie. Even, I think, the writing. And, like, same.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I never watched The Fountainhead. Because, again, I did read the book, and I don't hate myself that much.
0: Uh, around 1950, this is where it gets sexy. Mm. Around 1950, Rand met with a college student named Nathan Blumenthal... Who changed his name to Nathaniel Brayden and became the author's designated heir. Which is a weird thing to be in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fucking journey of a sentence. <laughs> Along with his wife Barbara, Brayden formed a group that met at Rand's apartment to engage in intellectual
1: discussions. Sex. Orgies. Orgy Sex like, jerking off to capitalism and building. So she was definitely fucking uh,
0: Brandon, like, for sure, and, like, with the explicit consent of both of their spouses because...
1: I've heard differently. I've heard differently about explicit consent. I was reading a little bit about Ayn Rand because, like, Paul Ryan was jerking off to her at the same token. He was like, I'm really into Rage Against the Machine. I'm like, Paul Ryan, do you know what they're talking about? Anyway, but, so... explicit consent maybe but she basically what i read was that apparently she mostly went up to her husband and said look egoism and individualism are virtues therefore it is my individual desire to fuck this college student yeah. and if you impede upon my desire to fuck this college student you are a bad person so he kind of was like well i don't want to be a bad person mm-hmm. so i'm gonna let her fuck this college student but he wasn't like into it fun fact my terrible ex said verbatim the same thing to me. Oh no, I'm your terrible oh no! ex! <laughs> Surprise rips off my face. I've been your terrible ex the whole time! Like, Ayn
0: Rand is sort of this interesting prototype of, like, relationships that one person forces polyamory into and the other one not She polyjacked it. it! She, she polyjacked it. She polyjacked
1: that relationship.
0: <sighs> but, uh, yeah, so, uh, this group, this group of people intellectually circle jerking in Ayn Rand's <laughs> apartment, <laughs> included the future Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan. Oh god. Uh it was called the Collective or the Class of Forty Three, which was the publication year of the Fountainhead. Ooh. Okay, get so you it? Get do you get, get it? it?
1: <laughs> Class <laughs> of Forty Three, do you, get, you it? get it? Oh my God. Fuck Alan Greenspan. Jesus. I don't, well, I don't think that it was a sex thing. I think that oh, was- Oh, it int- was a sex thing. I mean, it was intellectual sex things.
0: Yes. Rand's ideas became even more explicit with uh, the publication of Atlas Shrugged in 1957, which is over a thousand pages. It portrays a future in which leading industrialists drop out of a collectivist society that exploits their talents, culminating with a notoriously lengthy speech by protagonist John Galt. As I rip out my
1: own eyeballs so I don't have to read this book. Yeah. This is the book that Paul Ryan said is his favorite book. And he, I think he has a signed copy of it that he was so proud of, and like again, that Ugh. explains a lot about Paul Ryan. Ugh. Also, lover of Rage Against the Machine, Paul Paul what Ryan,
0: the fuck Machine, who he is himself raging against. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so. And you talk about Paul Ryan at some point. It's apparently what the what this episode's about. Anyway. So,
0: despite many negative reviews, Atlas Shrugged became an international bestseller. In an interview with Mike Wallace, Rand declared herself the most creative thinker alive.
1: I mean, why not? Sure. I'm the most creative thinker alive. See how easy it was?
0: (laughs) So, while she's saying that, she's actually very discouraged and depressed by the reaction of intellectuals to the novel. Because, like, lay people really liked Atlas Shrugged because they're like... Oh, we get it! It's deep! Like, finally her screaming, do you get it, do you get it, like, reach someone. But people who were, like, actual intellectuals and academics and, like, people in the literary scene thought that the book was trash because it was just, like... This one was more like jerking off to trains than buildings, mm-hmm. but, like, mm-hmm. same thing. Atlas Shrugged was Rand's last completed work of fiction. Um, she switched to just nonfiction and scrawled manifestos after that. Uh, It's always bad when you go into manifestos. Pretty much. Not a great look. Formally, Rand called her philosophy objectivism, and informally, she called it a philosophy for living on earth. (laughs) So, what Rand advocates, and some of this I got from, like, the objectivist, like the Rand Society website. So, if some of this sounds especially. Forgive me,
1: my skeleton just pops out of my flesh
0: and walks out of the room. I read this for you.
1: What Rand it's ad- no Tucker Carlson,
0: okay? What Rand advocates is an approach to life that's unlike anything you've ever heard before. Selfishness in her philosophy means follow reason, not whims of faith. Work hard to achieve a life of purpose and productiveness. Earn genuine self-esteem. Pursue your own happiness at your highest moral aim. Prosper by treating others as individuals, trading value for value. None of that is, like, is, like,
1: egregiously bad. That is not how fucking anyone reads it. Yeah. Like, I mean, that mostly seems like, hey, like, take care of yourself and do things and, like, treat other people with dignity. But, like, that ain't how people who love Iran act. Yeah. Uh,
0: her special brand of reasoning led to, uh, some real, real gross positions uh, like saying that homosexuality is disgusting and uh, that Native Americans, having failed for millennia to create heroically productive
1: capitalist society, deserve to be stripped of their land. Yep, yep. She definitely was like, it's cool that genocide happened because they were weak and deserved it. What a take, Anne. (sighs) And then there's her views on women.
0: Oh, God. If you Google Ayn Rand feminism, uh, you will go down a real interesting rabbit hole. She herself rejected the label feminist and even went so far as to provocatively declare herself a male chauvinist. She did. She did. He did do that
1: because that's cool, I guess. I'm a lady, but I call myself a male chauvinist. Oh, I'm not do like, you get it? I'm not like other girls. I'm the cool girl. I'm the cool girl who drinks beer. I eat wings, but I look like I have a body that eats salads. She didn't. It doesn't matter. That's what that whole, like, I'm not one of those girls. Ayn Rand looked like a
0: very striking turnip in an architectural Kentucky Derby hat. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not describing her looks thusly, like, because she's Russian a Russian turnip. A very striking Russian turnip. I am describing her looks
1: because she was so striking looking. Like, she was not a bad looking Actually, woman, but. That would be a beat. She does not look like a turnip, she looks like a Russian beat <laughs> in Kentucky Derby hat. Kentucky Derby hat. <laughs> very,
0: very architectural Kentucky Derby hat. <laughs> is this accent racist? I don't know. She's it, just insufferable. Yeah. Who hung out
1: with her? I don't understand. The he's, Brandons
0: in Alan Greenspan. I've already told you.
1: I mean, this because they were all like fucking each other's brains or whatever. Yeah. But like, like she's not fun. Nothing about her is fun. There's no whimsy. Like,. It's just, like, ugly-ass buildings and, like, weird penis envy. So, I
0: mean, I, I'm, I'm envisioning this next part as, like, that meme that's like, no one. Literally no one. She had a view of sexual psychology that ascribed distinctive masculine and feminine adi- attitudes to healthy men and women, respectively.
1: Ayn Rand, I didn't ask you about sexual philosophy. I did not, but, you know, she's gonna Freud fuck this up, Mm -hmm. so let's go. Let's go!
0: She argued that sexually women should desire to engage in, quote, hero
1: worship, and that this required having at least one man to whom they could each look up. I'm sorry. What? Isn't this the woman who was like, I'm so proud to be a dude? Yep. Someone referred to me as a dude? So, like, we should all look up to dudes? and buildings. I would say that
0: like if she, if she was alive today, first of all the damage she could do on Fox News, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like well, I think if she were alive today Fox News wouldn't exist because a lot of it is really precipitated by like this Ayn Rand selfish and philosophy. Um yeah, no, I feel like if she
1: King sort of, Roger Ailes would have gotten along
0: so well. She she could have been sort of like a gender non-conforming, interesting, like, sort of genderqueer person. But I don't think she would have liked that, so I don't want to ascribe that to her, even though she's like, I am technically a woman, but also I'm a male chauvinist, but also women should look up to men and be subservient. Anyway, she doesn't think women should be president. Don't know why that would surprise you. So I did hear, and maybe you're getting to that point, I did hear she was pro-choice. Yeah, I mean, she was, like, very libertarian, even though she did not like the term libertarian and didn't, like, self-identify that. Of course, because, of course she didn't. Because, of course she didn't. <laughs> I mean, like, she she believed that homosexuality was discussing it wrong, but also believed that, like, and it should not be illegal. I, I cool, cool, I guess? Cool, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, her... <laughs> sexual affair with uh, Nathaniel Brandon um, who was again, married and 25 years younger than her. Like, get it, but also meh. That ended when he had his own affair with a younger woman. Oh no. She slapped him, excommunicated him, and falsely accused him of embezzlement.
1: Excommunicated? What is it, the Church of Ayn Rand? She would say so, Yeah. Oh, my God. Because... What an insufferable asshole. She really she really actively hated religion, and I am not a religious person myself, but I also... But not fucking her is, like, being excommunicated? This fucking guy... Have you
0: ever noticed that a lot of the these fucking guys in the wild are people who really are really, really anti-religion, sort of, like, in this Bill Maher kind of Bill maher Ayn rand sort of way... And again, I'm not terribly pro-religion. There's just some people who are real gross in this very
1: specific way. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, so she... you are anti-religion, because the religion is myself. Yeah. Worship at the altar of me. She had
0: um, worked with this Brandon guy to, like, create this sort of shrine to Ayn-, Ayn Rand, except for it was called, like, the Brandon Society, and she made him, like, the CEO and was like, yes, this is the thing that I subscribe to. And then he started fucking somebody else, and she was like, you took all my money? Mm. <sighs> so, that was sort of, like, weird and problematic and just kind of grows on this little petty scale that I should not care about because her contributions to, like, really toxic philosophies of thought and capitalism... And stuff are, like, so much more problematic. But anyway, after decades of heavy smoking, she underwent surgery for lung cancer and finally stopped writing a couple years after that. After uh, retiring from writing her news letter, she finally allowed social worker Eva Pryor, an employee of her attorney, to enroll her in social security and Medicare. Yep.
1: Yeah. I bet that individualism's serving you well now, Ayn.
0: During the late 1970s, her activities within the objectivist movement declined, especially after the death of her husband. One of her final projects was a work of a never-completed television adaptation of Atlas Shrugged. They tried to make it into a movie recently. They've tried to make it into a movie a couple times. No one has
1: ever liked it,
0: I'm pretty sure. (laughs)
1: It's also one of those things that, like, people who like Atlas Shrugged the book are, like, way too intellectual to enjoy Atlas Shrugged the movie. Right. But they would enjoy
0: Atlas Shrugged the porn parody. Oh, God. Yeah, they would. Oh, God. Yeah, they would. Uh, Rand died of heart failure on March 6, 1982 at her home in New York City and was interred in the Kensico Cemetery in Valhalla, New York. She never went back to Russia. I don't know why that would surprise anyone. I mean, why? Uh, I mean, fair. Super fair. So, this was my favorite fact about her funeral. A six-foot floral arrangement in the shape of a dollar sign was placed near her casket.
1: I mean, that's on brand.
0: Uh, and while she was like... Radical truth-teller, and one must never attempt to fake reality in any manner. She repeatedly was held her distorted facts to feed her own mythology, and when she died, none of her followers actually knew her real name. <laughs> what a weird lady. What a weird lady. What? He's a fucking weirdo, man. I, like, I, I knew I needed to cover Ayn Rand because, seriously, this fucking guy. Right? But... Doing her after several weeks of child rapists was maybe not the best <laughs> move because I feel like this has cast her in an unfairly good
1: light. No, it hasn't. No? As someone who lives in America today, and again, the timeline that God has forgotten, like, Ayn Rand has done incredible damage to American society in ways that we can barely fathom. yeah. Just just this fucking asshole philosophy of fuck you got mine. And uh, we have I'm the thing for that. Yeah, we do.
0: Uh, so in an effort to really start leaning a little harder on those self-care tips, I have a few sort of we're getting close to the end of fall Ooh, self-care yes, tips for you. Self-care. So take those winter clothes out of storage and get cozy while you subvert capitalism.
1: <laughs> and cozy, sh- cozy.
0: Enjoy your favorite soup, maybe borscht, while you contextualize the Russian Revolution. Mm -hmm. Get your flu shot and don't let your body or soul deteriorate into a Scrooge-like husk. (laughs) (laughs) And turn back your clocks by one hour, not fifty years.
1: There we go. I will take all of those to heart, Genji. All of those are solid self-care tips. I do my best. Considering that no one wants to become like Ayn Rand. (laughs) oh goodness that's gonna be all for us this week folks so if you like what you're hearing you should check us out on thisfnguypod.com or on twitter at thisfnguypod all of these links will be somewhere in this because that would be better for everybody Um, and also I would say donate to our patreon but it still does not exist no I'll get right on that. Oh, <laughs> I'll get right on that. <laughs>
0: As always, I'm Ginger Gollum. I'm Red Martinez. And here's a self-care tip. Invest in nice socks. And don't be this fucking guy. Peace.
1: This fucking guy. <laughs>